Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. Welcome, everybody. Today is January 8th, 2016. So we are well into the new year now, and uh, we are unofficially celebrating our one-year anniversary. We did our one-year, our, our very first show on uh, January 12th of 2015, so we're not quite there, uh, but we're close enough for horseshoes. So when we, when we do Yay. the show next week, we do the show next week, we will be past a one-year mark. So uh, it's been great. Yay. Um, we've had a lot happy of great anniversary. Topics. Yeah. Happy anniversary, us. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I should say, joining me in our virtual studio from uh, all over the planet today, we have uh, we are one person down. Uh, we have Doug, Tiffany, Gabby, and Elliot, and we are missing Erica today. So we'll we'll miss her, and we wish her well, and we'll see her at the next show. Um, today, our topic is uh, does knowledge trump diet? Um, so it's kind of an interesting topic, and we're going to see what we can do to, uh, to tease this apart. Uh, but generally, we want to talk about, you know, uh, the world of health and wellness, the world of holistic health, and, uh, you know, where where do some of these things fall short? Like, it's, it's all very well and good uh, to be healthy, and that's what we want uh, for ourselves and for you. Um, to be physically and mentally healthy. Uh, but we see a lot of things um, in, I guess you call it the scene, uh, you know, where there are people who are writing about health, about good eating, good living, stuff like that, who still seem to be kind of missing the mark on the state of the world. Um, so our, our general theme is that no amount of dietary changes can, can necessarily save you from the polarized world. Uh, and if uh, I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with that term, but if you're not, uh, that comes from the book Political Polarology, uh, which is the study of uh, evil and power. And so uh, polarized uh, refers to a, a world which has kind of been tainted or um, taken over by, you know, the machinations of, of evil and positions of power. And then it trickles down, and the entire society seems to reflect that in sort of an endemic way. Um, you know, and then we get these, uh, we get lack of compassion, lack of community, uh, lack of empathy uh, in the society because the society reflects what its leaders do and, and, you know, what they act like, what their character is. So that's, uh, you know, what we're going to talk about. You know, you can change your your diet uh, all you like and you can be extremely healthy, but that will, that will save your body and hopefully your, your mind to a certain extent, but it, it can't you know, quote-unquote, save you from the state of the world. Um, and so we want to talk about that and some of, you know, what people are writing around that topic. Um, so I guess just to kick us off with the discussion here, I was curious uh, what you guys think. Um, like, what do you see as some some major examples of that, as of some people who might be, you know, extremely healthy themselves and promoting health in the media and yet seem to be missing areas of, you know, um, domination in, in the government, police brutality, uh, you know, U.S. foreign policy, which I think we can all agree is pretty screwed up. Um, what do you guys see as examples of that? 
Well, one example that I see, uh, you know, I read a lot of paleo writers, um, different people like uh, Mark Sisson, Rob Wolf, and, uh, you know, other other different um, paleo writers. And they, you know, a, a lot of these guys tend to get down, really down deep into the kind of the minutiae of diet, you know, like really looking at the, the, the details and, and uh, you know, looking at new studies that come out and all this kind of stuff. But, it, it you know, I guess it's it's partly, you know, the expectation of myself is that, you know, when you change the diet, you get the brain functioning properly, um, that you'll kind of automatically have this growing awareness of your environment and what's going on in the world and that sort of thing. But I don't really see that reflected in a lot of these paleo writers, um, or or at least they don't talk about it. You know, I mean, maybe who knows what's what's going on behind the scenes? Like maybe they do uh, kind of keep up to date on this kind of stuff, but they don't they don't really uh, mention it. So it's almost like you know, it, it it almost gets to the point where it seems like the the study of these these really fine details of the diet is almost like a distraction. Um, that you know you can kind of immerse yourself in this sort of world and not really pay attention to much else that's going on. Um, around you. And I wonder how much that influences their research because I remember one of the paleo bloggers, you know, he was really into this kind of research and even, you know, um, discovering how much corruption there is in the, in the dietary guidelines that most of the paleo mm -hmm. bloggers, you know, discuss. But then, you know, he one day announced in his blog that he was going to focus on um, on a particular line of research related to taste buds or how stimulation of uh, certain foods can really, you know, change your physiology and basically drive you how you eat because that mm. was what the government was sponsoring, you know, so... I wonder <laughs> how much they have to say in you know in, in a certain line just because it doesn't it's not like um, approved by 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 the general public or the authorities in general. Yeah, I, I think I know the the blogger that you're talking about, and I, I think he, he was a PhD student if I remember correctly. So I think yeah, maybe what right. happened is that that he just got funding. You know what I mean? Like he was doing his thesis or whatever, and and he got, um, you know, approved to do a study in this kind of very fine detail of, of how, you know, taste affects what we eat and, you know, how can can have a, you know, override uh, other aspects of biology and things like that. And, yeah, it, did, it didn't see, it seemed to completely, like, kind of derail um, what he had been working on up until that. Um, it seemed like it was kind of getting caught up again, like I said, in this sort of minute detail instead of actually uh, looking more at the big picture. Yeah. Well, yeah, from I what I see, it seems like a lot of these bloggers just have their heads buried in the sand. They're so deep into nutrition, they don't see anything else. Like um, uh, Rob Wolf and Mark Sisson, I, I don't see anything that even remotely relates to anything that's going on outside of food and exercise. Um, <laughs> and... I don't. I haven't read any particular article about Rob Wolf saying that he was. Seen, he did make sense at the end of one of his articles, saying that uh, he is going to oil Russell. What's her name? 
McCarthy, Jenny McCarthy, on the vaccine issue. So it makes me think that he's pro-vaccine. And yeah. I think that it, at the very least, I mean, if you're talking about diet and nutrition and physical health, you should at least know that vaccines are bad all the way around. Learning that was just like, wow, Rob Wolf, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's stated in the past that he's a libertarian, but he's basically, that's, you know, that's that's the extent of anything I've heard him ever mention about, um, you know, a wider perspective on things. He even said something along the lines of, like, anybody who's paleo should be libertarian or something along those lines. And I was going, oh, okay. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because, like, you know, that's even a, a valid point. There's even aspects of health that these guys aren't looking into. Like, I rarely hear them mention much about toxicity, uh, heavy metal overload, uh, viral or uh, bacterial components, and all these different things that seem so vital from our research. Um, they really don't seem to look much beyond diet. You know, it's kind of like if you change your diet, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And then, you know, it, it kind of is – is interesting because in a lot of cases, you know, a lot of these paleo bloggers were really big on the ketogenic diet for a while there. Mm-hmm. And everybody was kind of uh, talking about it and, and accepting it and talking about how it was, uh, you know, the kind of the ideal diet, like, you know, along the, the research that we've done here. But then there was like mm-hmm. this backlash against it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that came from uh, people who were having a lot of trouble, um, you know, transitioning or uh, maintaining a ketogenic diet. And it seems like they were hesitant to troubleshoot it at all, you know, look deeper into the details like, you know, like we discovered about things like, you know, viral overload, uh, bacterial infection, um, you know, heavy metals, those sorts of things, like all these different things that can really kind of get in the way of, of making a proper transition to this diet. Um, it's like they didn't want to look at that. And all of a sudden it was just like, oh, no, no, a ketogenic diet is not for everybody. And it's like, well, you know, sorry. Yeah. No, I get the impression that in the end they were stuck with this, like all this science, all this research, which they agree that fat is really good, animal fat is really good, you know, lots of carbs are really bad, even lots of fiber are really bad. And in the end, in their conclusions, they contradict themselves by not, you know, advocating a high fat diet (laughs) and encouraging lots of vegetables because of these, like, you know, unwillingness to go there. Yeah, or, or yeah. if they do advocate, if they do advocate a high fat diet, it's um it's with olive oil, and uh, yeah. you know cocoa butter and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think some? Well, crawling around the internet. Oh, sorry. Crawling around the internet, looking at uh, uh, holistic health. Type in like low carb diet, paleo diet, ketogenic, and that come up. I think one of the sites had ketogenic diet. It was just a briefing of genetic as it pertains to cures in autistic children, and that was it. Yeah, it seems people are pretty. Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I don't know if you guys heard that, but Tiff, I, I, I heard about half of what you said there. I wonder if you might be able to repeat some of that. I think the Skype might be cutting out a little bit. Yeah, I was looking around at the, some holistic sites, and I would type in, like, low diet or paleo diet, genetic diet. 
the vast majority of the time, nothing would come up in any of those categories. There was one time where the ketogenic diet was mentioned briefly in the context of seizures and autistic children, and other than that. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely can't yes, that. I, I, yeah, I think I think your connection might be um, coming down because I I didn't hear a lot of that either. I think you know I heard some there. You know, you were saying that the the majority of the mention of the keto diet has to do with a few specific areas and not with necessarily holistic wellness. You know, that it's just for treating autism or it's just for treating uh, uh, seizures you know, or specifically like certain types of cancers. Um, but there's not a lot of writing about the keto diet, ketogenic diet for, you know, John and Jane Doe necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I, think... I mean, you, you, think, you think that if there are um, health professionals who are aware that you can, say, treat epilepsy with the ketogenic diet, then um, why is it that they're not... <laughs> It's almost like, why can't they see that this is potentially the diet that most people should be on, you know? Like, um, mm. they understand that it treats certain illnesses that can really barely be treated by pharmaceuticals. So why mm. don't they use that knowledge and apply it to their own practice and treat people who don't necessarily have epilepsy, but, you know, be creative and, and, and try to treat people with with uh, with other ailments with with the same formulated diet, you know, it's it's like uh, it's like cognitive dissonance to some extent, you know. Yeah, I think that's pretty indicative of the state of kind of research and how people will will uh, take um, the studies that have been done. You know, it's it's like people aren't willing to kind of go outside. Well, the study's been done on epilepsy, therefore we know that this diet is good for epilepsy. And, you know, the idea that you can kind of look at the mechanisms that are going on and say, you know what, this actually, this diet is actually really um, kind of a better biological state for the organism to be in, um, in, in general, like all across the board. So maybe this has potential to treat other things. You know, it's kind of like there's this this tunnel vision where it's like, they, you know, they, it's, they carry over the uh, the pharmaceutical kind of um, uh, model, and they're like, okay, well, we've done a study on this disease with this um, uh, this particular intervention, so therefore we won't look outside of that. Um, it's yeah, and and you know, it, it is still looked at as a radical diet too, and they kind of you know the mainstream view is that you wouldn't want to put anybody through that unnecessarily. Um, meanwhile, you know, we, we're all on it, and we've been fine on it forever. Um, and it's not really that big a deal, but uh, yeah, I think yeah, it, it, it's kind of frustrating in that way. It is, and how they come, you know, with all this great research of how great fat is, but it, practically speaking, the people are still afraid of fat, you know, even mm -hmm. when they know that <laughs> cholesterol myth and all that, they're still afraid to increase their fat intake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or like Elliot was saying, they'll, they'll increase their coconut oil and their avocados, but uh, but you know, not animal fat. You still want your lean meat. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, speaking of fear, if we could uh, <clears throat> kind of loop back to like the idea. So we were talking about you know, diet and health writers may not be talking about a specific point, uh, you know, in the in the diet and health world. Um, but we noticed that a lot of them, uh, some of them are writing about things 
overall systemic problems in society, and a lot of them are not. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, um, you know, I'm sure that it's, you know, everybody's a snowflake and it's it's unique to each individual. But I'm curious how much of that is either, say, uh, you know, genuine ignorance, like either they're, they're just actually not aware of it, which is possible. It seems unlikely, but it's possible. Um, or they, uh, it's, you know, it's willful ignorance, uh, sort of to the point where they're like, well, I just write about this thing, so I'm not going to write about that thing. Um, mm-hmm. or it's, or it's fear, you know, where I, I don't want to be brand, you know, writing about alternative health practices is already kind of on the fringe. And so if you go any mm-hmm. more fringe, you're going to be branded a you know, tinfoil hatter and discredited mm-hmm. even more so, you know, I'm, I'm curious how that applies to, uh, some of these different authors and like what they would say if you actually got them down in a room in private and said, well, what do you think about, you know, Jennifer, you know, I have the impression, for example, um, still with the cholesterol myth, I have the impression that some bloggers, you know, take, for example, the seven country study by Ansel Keith, which was proved to be, you know, wrong or, and they just write about it from a um, quote, like I'm so smart point of view. Like I, you know, discovered all these mistakes in this study and look how it has influenced the way people, the entire world ate, you know, not for the better, definitely. And it just tastes like that from an intellectual point of view, like, oh, these are all the mistakes. But they don't go further, as some authors do, into like dealing with the core issue that it was like a case of corruption of science. That there were simply like personalities that were very, you know, persistent, pathological, uh, power-seeking personalities that just got away with it. And mm-hmm. a good example of an author that did went, you know, deep into the root of the problem is um, uh, Takeol, Nina Takeol, the author of The Big Fat Surprise. She mm-hmm. wrote a book. She actually interviewed every single person um that was related with the with the creation of the cholesterol myth and she debunked every single study but what she uncovered is like you know there are some people that were really downright that very evil you know and that got away with it with the corruption mm-hmm. of science you know. that's an example yeah i did yeah i mean it was, you don't sorry go ahead Jonathan. go ahead Doug. Well, I was just going to say uh, it, would be, it would be nice if people actually, like, you know, took it, – it's like they'll they'll go into that one subject and look at all the corruption and that sort of thing, but they don't take it to the larger, uh, bigger picture. You know, this idea that – you know, it's almost like they think that there's, there was this corruption in this one area, but that, that doesn't – you know, they don't see how that reflects what's actually going on on the whole that, you know, corruption, like science is corrupted across the board. It's not just in the diet and health uh, segment, you know, that there is this, this corruption kind of permeates everything um, and that we are getting like an incorrect picture of the world around us because of this corruption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this one yeah. mindset um, with paleo bloggers is um, it's really common but it, for me, it's very hard to believe that um, you can understand how, um, say, the health and food industry is entirely corrupt and is basically built upon conspiracy and, um, you know, has, has certain agendas that they, they would like to further. And then they uh, they can't apply this 
to, as you said, Doug, you, they can't apply this to um, society at large, you know, the, the whole system being entrenched with, with, the, with the same problems. Um, mm -hmm. I, I personally think that perhaps um, perhaps it's, it's due to um, maybe, maybe fear, um, maybe maybe they just think, okay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a health writer, I'm a nutritionist, I, I must mm -hmm. stick to this. I have a certain audience um, to, um, you know, to um, to appeal to, and if I if I stray away from from this particular line of thought or you know this particular subject, then I don't know. Maybe I mean I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think that we well, can discount the effect of advertising either. Can you guys hear me? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, a lot of these sites have a lot of ads for, you know, gluten-free this and, you know, low-carb and paleo foods and that. And I think that they would lose a lot of revenue if they kind of strayed away from the whole diet thing and started mm. focusing on maybe societal problems or, you know, uh, government issues and things like that. I think they have a lot of the same problems that more mainstream sources have and that, you know, if they stray, they're going to lose money. Yeah. 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 Well, a good example of what happens if you do kind of stray from that is uh mm -hmm. recently um on uh Green Med info, uh Sayer G wrote about a, an article. Um actually I don't have it up in front of me here, but it was uh um actually Gabby, do you have more information on that cuz I don't, I don't have it pulled up here. Yes. The was title that, was that the, the article is Harvard study, police killings, a major public health concern. And by the way, he had to change the title of the article because even though he was just reporting facts, you know, basically it was, according to a new Harvard study, police violence kills more U.S. citizens annually than the flu and pneumonia combined. So why aren't law enforcement related deaths being counted, tracked, and reported? like any other form of mortality affecting the public health. So that was basically his article, but it created so many negative comments, historical mm -hmm. comments, that he had to change the title and add. Um, wow, Harvard yeah. study, police killings, the major public health concerns, comma, but underreported. Hmm. And uh, can I just read a couple of comments so you guys have an idea of what the kind of feedback he got, you know? <laughs> Uh, we carried yep. on thought, and nobody thought anything of it. You know, it was like, yeah, we know. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> obvious. But on his website, one person said, um, not canceling my subscription yet. However, we'll no longer recommend you to others. Did you really think that your experience in the field of natural health automatically gave you standing in the realm of social issues? How very inflated or your opinion of yourself has become? You are what Stalin referred to as a youthful idiot. You have much valuable work to do in your field of expertise. Don't blow it up. Wise up. Okay. <laughs> Out. <laughs> uh, stay out of politics, stay here. You know, that's not a big Sorry, go ahead, John. Oh, that kind of comment is just um, 
I mean, it's not really surprising to me, but it is kind of infuriating because, you know, as if anybody who writes about health and wellness and, and diet and nutrition should not comment on social issues. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm curious what the uh, professional experiences of that poster, you know, yeah. it, you know, like, it, I don't know. It's just, um, it's frustrating because, you know, we're all here talking about what we talk about. And if uh, everybody is specialized and never brings up anything else, um, then we're left, you know, at the whims of of talking heads, essentially. You know, mm-hmm. and, and you get into the arena where, sure, there are, you know, political experts, social experts, things like that, but the majority of people don't really seek out that good information. They get it from CNN and Fox News, and that's mm-hmm. where your social commentary comes from. So I, I would be more inclined to listen to somebody like Sayer G talk about social issues than I would, you know, Matt Lauer or one of those guys. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's kind of you know we're, we've been asking you know why aren't these you know uh, paleo bloggers and stuff talking about the the wider world, but here we have a, an example of maybe why they're not. I mean, you have somebody um, like Sayer who has obviously has a very specific audience who's kind of interested in in you know alternative health uh, type stuff and 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 is at least sensible enough to want a, a source like that where it is looking at you know peer reviewed studies. Um, but as soon as it, and, and you know, this was a peer-reviewed study. This was published in a journal, um, and all he was doing was just, uh, you know, reporting on this subject. Uh, so, and and all the article really said is that, you know, there are statistics for um, police murders, basically, um, and this this uh, data can be analyzed and looked at. Like that's all it was saying. But everybody took it, you know, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of these these commenters took it so offensively. It's like it's obviously a very hot-button topic. And to see the reaction that a lot of people, you know, people who are interested in alternative health but don't want to go there as far as a, a social issue, um, you know, I, I guess maybe that, that's, that's reflective of what the state of a lot of these, you know, bloggers are that, you know, they, they do want to look at the health, but they don't want to go anywhere else. They're in denial. Yeah, it's a symptom of, of the the state of things right now where, just like you said, people don't want to go there. You know, I, I just got out of yoga class and have finished my smoothie, and I don't want to hear about police brutality right now. You know, I'm about to go on the beach. <laughs> Shut up, you know. Yeah, that was the really disturbing part about it because you assume that all of these commenters are regular readers of his site and you assume he has some really good information out there about health. I mean, his Dark Side of Wheat series was fantastic and he has all this stuff about, you know, ketogenic diets and fats and coconut oil. His site are taking information on board minting it in their lives and they're still Sayer G is very careful with the sources he uses like he uses very mainstream sources even though when you read um, his articles you have you know the impression that he's much more aware you know Mm -hmm. like he has uh, unveiled uh, corruption in the petrochemical industry with the gold oil spill big pharma you know the food industry and uh, yes, and he has published this article of how police mortality seems to be like affecting the public health, and he used a mainstream source, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it just makes me wonder, you know, because the alternative health community, they are very critical of mainstream medicine. They say, for example, how specialized doctors, you know, they know more about a body organ than the whole body and they're not holistic. But I mean, human beings, you know, are not like also like individualized, you know, they don't live independently from their society, you know. We are part of our society, you know. And if our society is like all screwed up, you know, that's gonna affect every you know, a person's health, you know, at least their adrenals, you know. And not mm-hmm. acknowledging the state of the world, you know, what 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 is what are the consequences of that to your health, you know? Mhm. Yeah. It's you know, I it, it's kind of like the, the, the title of our show is Does Knowledge Trump Diet? And it's almost like it, I mean, I don't think it does trump it necessarily. Like, I mean, obviously diet is a very important thing to get your brain and body functioning properly so that you have the ability to take in more information and and actually connect dots and kind of get a a more objective view of the world that we live in uh, is obviously very important. But it's it's also pretty obvious from, from what we've been talking about and from these examples that you know, even if you do get yourself into a, a, you know, I hesitate to say ideal state of health because, you know, I don't know if we know anybody who is 100% perfectly healthy, but, you know, at least that you're, at, you know, working on that and trying to get yourself into this uh, perfect state of health, you know, it's almost like you can get the body functioning at its optimum, but if you aren't making efforts to take in more knowledge, to actually look at the world around you, to to weave through the lies and the misinformation and actually look behind things. It's like you, you can only go so far. You know, how how important is it to be, you know, 100% perfectly healthy if you're living in a bubble? And the question is, will it ever be possible to become 100% healthy if you are living in a bubble? Yeah, you know, yeah. If, if you're not if you're not if you're not working if you're not working to develop um, emotional health, you know, mm. um, you know, if, if you're not seeing uh, the world as it is, then I mean, as as Gabby mentioned, your adrenals are going to be constantly, constantly under mm-hmm. stress. You know, um, I I I wonder whether it's even possible. Yeah, it's a good question. It's like, you know, I, I, we come across, like, in the forum and stuff like that all the time. Somebody will post an interesting article or something like that, and there's some discussion on it. But one of the things we inevitably find with it is, like, yeah, you know, they've got some of the picture, but they're missing the uh, the bigger picture of psychopathy, you know, that, the, that like, the, the profound effect that psychopaths have on our daily existence. And I think that, you know, it, that's that's one of the missing keys, and it's kind of like, you know, you can you can change your diet all you want, but if you aren't aware of the effect that psychopaths have on the society and, you know, the effect of a polarized society, you know, like how messed up things actually are and what we consider to be normal is, in fact, completely abnormal. You know, without that knowledge, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter how healthy you are because you're you're missing a major piece of the puzzle. And, yeah, like you said, Elliot, I mean, that will affect your health overall for sure. Mm. Or just like, just realize the contradiction, you know, of people in the health and wellness area talking about compassion, you know, and, Mm. you know, feeling empathy and compassion towards others. Well, they ignore that, you know, their government policies are responsible for the death of plus million, plus million people, you know, in the Middle East. 
This, mm -hmm. according to mainstream sources, Nobel winning doctors group, which is called um, uh, International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War, uh, War, along with Physicians for Social Responsibility and Physicians for Global Survival. And they released a report, Body Count, Casualty Figures After 10 Years of the War on Terror, you know. You know, over a million people dead mm -hmm. by the result of the government policies. And they live within a society, you know, that, you know, that has led to that, you know, and they speak about empathy and compassion, but they, you know, not acknowledge, you know, all these deaths. How about that? Or empathy and compassion, I don't know. Yeah, I think you call it more, it's more selective empathy and selective compassion. Yeah. Totally. And it's comfortable um, in that way. I think, Doug, you brought up a good point with uh, psychopathy. <clears throat> you know, that's a deep topic, and it might be it's it's hard for a lot of people to uh, to wrap their brain around. You know, the idea that there are uh, beings, I guess, you know, human beings that exist, whether you want to call them uh, human or not, that is a very uh, sticky issue as to you know where the labeling goes. It can also be kind of dangerous, I think. But the fact that there are human beings that uh, that pathologically, clinically lack empathy and do not have the capability to feel it, um, and that mm -hmm. that makes up a certain percentage of our population, and that that a, a lot of those people have worked their way into positions of power, and a lot of them are the ones, um, you know, pulling the strings, uh, not only mm -hmm. writing the the laws and the foreign policy, but you know, making the uh, the medications, making the medical uh, policies, and. I just, uh, you know, I think that, like you said, I, I think that's a big aspect of things that, that people are missing. Like when they talk about uh, GMOs or vaccines or big pharma, medical corruption, scientific corruption, things like that, they miss the, uh, the fact that these are not, a lot of these people are not necessarily, I mean, the, the people who are doing the bad things are not just missing the mark. You know, they're not just kind of screwing up. A lot of it is mm -hmm. done on purpose, you know, for personal gain with no regard, literally no regard for um, for anyone else. And so that that's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's, that's actually the narrative that, that, that people use in a lot of cases, that, that it's a mistake. You know, that, um, oh, people just haven't looked at, that deeply into this or they're not seeing the big picture. And if we just, you know, correct their error, then everything will be mm -hmm. fine. And it's really like I, th I think that it's incredibly naive, you know, that um, that you have to realize that there are people behind these these decisions that are being made that are are making them for their own gain, and they don't care about the effect that it has on everyone. It's not that they're misinformed; um, it's that they don't care. And I think that as long as you kind of hold to that narrative that it's just a big mistake, and that you know, if people were shown the truth that they would, you know, that everything would fall in line. It, it's naive. It's not, it, it's not a realistic picture of what's actually going on. And, and, it, and you will con continually be confused as to why things are the way that they are. Like, mm -hmm. unless you understand this basic fact, then, then there's no way of, of being able to piece together the pieces of the puzzle and try to understand reality unless you understand that there are, uh, you know, psychopathological uh, individuals who essentially, um, 
who really don't even have the capability to care. It's not even yeah. that they choose to or they suppress it or, you know, <laughs> they've got emotional issues or something like that. No, these guys don't actually have the capability of feeling empathy for other human beings. And so they they can basically do what they would like to do, um, whatever would benefit them, uh, without experiencing any pangs of conscience, without an internal... Um, voice telling them whether something is the right thing to do or not the right thing to do it's 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 a foreign concept to these individuals and like andrew Le- uh andrew lebachowski spoke about this in um in his book called political Ponerology. and mm-hmm. um yeah i mean he he goes into it in 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 real detail about how these individuals um it's happened uh a number of times throughout history, and how you've uh, you've got a, a, say a, a relatively healthy society with healthy individuals, and um, and these pathological types will basically work their way into society and gradually begin to degrade that society and um, infiltrate infiltrate the society, infiltrate the education, um, the whole structure of the society, and uh, the, so- the society will uh, uh, gradually uh, uh, begin to adopt those pathological values um, that were not there previously. And so you, you see this with something like Nazi Germany or um you know communist russia um you look at the us the uk most of most of the world today is you know um it seems to have undergone this uh, he calls it polarization so it's 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 a process um that 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 you have to go through um i wanted to put another example from the comments to say your these article, just to realize how people are so polarized. So one reader commented, Sayer, I do appreciate your response and have great respect for you. My reaction stems from the utter naivete from citizens who vilify police, FBI, and other law enforcement without knowing anything about the stress under which they work. The fact is that 90% of violent crime is committed by communities of color. A little accountability for the millions of dollars spent in these communities as opposed to the vicious attacks on law enforcement would be refreshing. Whatever the cause, poverty, racism, organized crime, flawed culture, whatever, we will get no further along in the battle by attacking those who, with rare exceptions, laid on the line every day. 365 days to protect and serve. We owe them our respect and gratitude, not contempt. Wow. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's also a sticky point. I mean, boy, this could launch a really long conversation, but what that brings to mind is, you know, that may be, honestly, that may be an objective fact that if you look at the statistics, most of the violent uh, violent crime in the in the country happens in you know communities of color. Fine. If we see that that's an objective fact, we need to look at why you know why that is. And I think that you will find the majority of the causes. Uh, in fact, I would say personally, I would say all of the causes 
are not uh, race-related. They are condition-related. You know, and where yeah. do these conditions come from? They come from the policies that are set. Um, they come from the way things have happened uh, in this country. Um, you know, whether you want to call it a tinfoil hat thing or not, you know, it comes from the fact that the government introduced crack into the inner cities. That's a documented mm-hmm. fact. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues, <clears throat> and it is extremely, extremely short-sighted uh, to say that, well, people of color just, just like to shoot each other. And, you know, and that's it's infuriating to me, And I, but I do hear a lot of people saying that. And um, it, it's really uh, it's hard to stomach when people just draw those simple conclusions. You have to look at, you know, why uh, the, the systemic factors that have caused the state of, of some of our more violent neighborhoods um, in the country and around the world. And not only that, but that's also overlooking the fact that um, that you're just talking about, you know, like basically street-level crime. You know, the majority of deaths overall has come from military conquest around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a large, large, like 99% of it being unjustified military conflict. Um, that was done either for greed or domination, um, you know. And in that, I, I will tell you, if you want to play the race card, it's it's rich white guys that do that. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. yeah. I don't know, well, one thing about the, uh, I, I was going to say that the, the thing that I noticed about the the comments uh, on that Sarah G article was a lot a lot of references to it being just a few bad apples within the police force. It's like you know, it, it, you know, it, it's a complete denial that there is like an epidemic of unjustified police violence that's going on right now. And anybody who is paying attention and actually reading the articles, looking, you know, every day on my Facebook feed, there's like two or three different articles about police brutality and how and completely unjustified. You know, the idea that this isn't a systemic problem, that it's only kind of a couple of few bad apples and, you know, they need to be punished. And, you know, the, the whole idea that, uh, you know, these, these uh, few bad apples, if that's what they are, are being protected, you know, that they aren't um, being punished for these uh, discretions, that they're actually, you know, that this kind of behavior is actually encouraged in many ways. You know, it really, it, it's just a, another naive perspective on things. You know, it, it's this kind of... Um, you know, putting police on this pedestal, this heroic kind of pedestal, and anything that kind of works to tarnish that image is is completely rejected. Yeah, I do think that one of the commenters that was pretty active at the end of that article was working in law enforcement or had relatives that mm-hmm. worked in law enforcement. But, right. you know, all of it was just really, like, black and white and very short-sighted. And in the, in the original article, there was nothing even mentioned about race whatsoever. There was nothing mentioned about Black Lives Matter, and that was brought up a lot in, all mm-hmm. of the, in a lot of the comments underneath the article. So it was just strange how it just automatically just went to race and, you know, violence and black-on-black crime, and none of that was even mentioned in the article at all. No. It was just talking about how there's all these police killings and it should be reported, and it's a public mm-hmm. health issue, and public health agencies should be reporting these police killings. Exactly. Which kind of, like, proves our point that people are, like, behaving hysterically, you know, and that's just, like, a mm-hmm. symptom of a... Society of the disease of the society in general. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder. Um, let's talk a little bit about 
uh, some of the people, you know, along the lines of, of Sayer who may be, um, you know, confronting these topics uh, that are in, like, kind of the health world. Um, but, you know, where Sayer, and he has my congratulations for doing that, where, where he is uh, very careful about citing sources, um, you know, and not making a lot of his own commentary, there are other writers who do make their own commentary, uh, as well as citing sources. Um, like uh, in our notes here, we have Stefan Verstappen, and I think that he's a really good example of that. Um, you know, where he is not afraid uh, to stand up and talk about health and social issues at the same time, and say, you know, look, this is this is something that we need to be uh, discussing. Um, people should not be shying away from. You know, we've been talking about police brutality, but, you know, there's there's also, like, we, we also mentioned the, the more overarching topic of psychopathy, and that's something that Stefan touches on in his writings and in his uh, YouTube videos. And, um, mm -hmm. I mean, he really has my respect for, for doing that because it's a hard thing to talk about. You're going to push a lot of buttons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Stefan is pretty great, actually. His videos are well worth checking out. Anybody who... Uh, who wants to uh, take a look at it? He did a, a video called "Defense Against the Psychopath" at one point, which was pretty pretty bang on. Um, and he's got a couple of other uh, a series called "Paradise Stolen," where he talks about the effect of psychopathy on the the greater society and kind of contrasts it with what society could actually be like and how we've we've come so far away from that. Um, so yeah, his his YouTube videos are well worth checking out for sure. But, you know, and again, we, we, we come across this again. It's kind of like he, he doesn't have the whole banana. You know, he doesn't talk about um, health. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is I know he is into kind of the Gurdjieff uh, method, the idea of working on the self. But the, the one component that he seems to be missing is the dietary component. Yeah, it really takes like a, a holistic uh, point of view. For his friend, he does like advocate for network, you know, networking and, you know, working with the community. And uh, and it is to say that, you know, different people have different skills. And uh, what we have seen from our forum discussions, like it really takes a whole network of people, you know, to be on top of all these subjects and discuss them you know, with an open mind, without being afraid of the truth, you know, and um, just exercising your critical thinking and sharing in general just seems like the special trick that does it. Yeah. It's kind of like there's a lot of people out there who are specialized and they're looking at specific things, but you need, you as an individual need to take a holistic perspective and kind of take all of these different components where it's like, okay, yeah, this person really has it as far as the whole psychopathy thing goes. And, and you know, take that and use that and, and, and you know, take it in as, as real knowledge. But know that everybody out there who is writing about a specific component is going to have their own blind spots. So it's kind of like you have to, um, you have to take a holistic perspective and take from these different areas um, and kind of incorporate that into your overall knowledge and connect the dots. You know, it's kind of like you, you can't just treat these different things as, as individual little bubbles. You have to kind of co uh, connect um, what's going on in, in all these, uh, what all these different writers are talking about. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think we should say that we're not expecting any one person or commentator to be, you know, perfect and to, to have it all together because we certainly are not either. Um, uh, we're trying to uh, bring up and then point out where people could be perhaps a little more well-rounded mm-hmm. um, and, you know, address uh, some of these issues that do come into play. Um, you know, you can you can talk about health and diet uh, all you want, but eventually psychopathy and, you know, the, 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 the uh, kind of systemic um, spread of the lack of empathy in our society is happening. Is gonna, that's going to come up at some point. And mm-hmm. if you talk about psychopathy and the systemic lack of empathy in society, health and diet is going to come up at some point. I think that they're, they're actually quite uh, intertwined, and I think that um, a lot of commentators are, are falling short by not um, trying to gain a more holistic view of what's really going on. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some interesting uh, blogs out there that, uh, that that seem to be kind of connecting the dots to a certain degree. Um, a lot of it gets posted on SOT, like there's Zen Gardner, um, Waking Times, um, there's uh, another site I see. I, I have them on Facebook, and their their stories come up in my feed quite a bit. Called Wake Up World, um, Collective Evolution is another one, and they they tend to be really um, on it as far as work on the self and you know doing emotional work on the self and, and that sort of thing. Um, but you know again the, the the dietary component is kind of missing there, um, and you know it's 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 interesting because you mean you can do a lot of emotional work on yourself and and uh, you know working on your state of consciousness and that sort of thing, but but you can only go so far with it if you do have some kind of maybe toxicity or something like that that's actually preventing you from getting an actual overall uh, view of the world. So, um, yeah, again, these are these are very important pieces of the puzzle, and it's, I think it's very important to, to read these things, but you need to expand it into your overall worldview and, and kind of make it a, one piece of the overall puzzle. Yeah, I think this is why nutrition is so important as well, is because, um, in my opinion, I, I would say that it has to sort of be the starting point, um, mm. in the sense that um, you need to cleanse your machine, and you, your machine, your body needs to be functioning efficiently for you to be able to do, say, um, say if you're um, delving deeply into into the emotional work. Um, and trying to learn things about yourself and to gain an overall more objective perspective of of reality. Um, I think if there are certain hindrances, um, certain toxicities, as you said, Doug, um, then then they are going to be a real stumbling block. And so Mm -hmm. if if, if we can go back and, and deal with the body, then hopefully everything will flow naturally after that, you know, and it, it might become easier. Yeah. It's almost like there's three different lines of work you have to be kind of working on at once. One, you have to be working on the body, nutrition, that kind of thing, getting your your body and brain into a functioning state. Uh, two, you have to do uh, emotional work. Um, you know, there are lots of... Uh, uh, and everybody is messed up emotionally. Like nobody kind of is is functioning in that proper state. And I think that's you know reflective of of the society in which we live. Um, and at the same time, there's there's also a spiritual aspect to it, 
You know, you do kind of have to be kind of aware of the the, the wider uh, view uh, as far as spirituality is concerned. And of course, I'm not talking about like religion here necessarily, but more just um, you know knowing your place in the universe. I guess is kind of kind of what it comes down to. So it's almost like you have to work on these three paths simultaneously to be able to kind of really get yourself into a state of health and, and kind of uh, an objective view of what's actually going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, I was going to ask you. Um, oh, go ahead, Gary. No, go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say oh, that it reminds me of a quote from When the Body Says No by Gaber Matic. And uh, he explains in the introduction of his book, right at the end of the first chapter, you know, each, each of us must reclaim the autonomy we lost when we parted company with our ability to feel what was happening within. That lost capacity for physical and emotional self-awareness is at the root of much of the stress that chronically debilitates health and prepares the ground for disease. My book, my purpose in this book is to promote learning and healing, not to add to the quotient of blame and shame, both of which already exist in our abundance in our culture. Perhaps I'm overly sensitized to the issue of blame, but then most people are. Shame is the deepest of the negative emotions, a feeling we will do almost anything to avoid. Unfortunately, our abiding fear of shame impairs our ability to see reality. So, yes, I will, I will add to that, basically see reality, not only within, but without, you know, see what is happening all around you. Definitely. Yeah, well, I guess this links back to um, the the nutritionists who, um, who, who are sort of one-track-minded and they focus solely on nutrition and, you know, once you deal with your, with your body, with your nutrition, then, um, then you can be perfectly healthy. And, you know, Gabo Mate's work shows that that simply is not true. Um, you know, and, and yeah. unless you unless you are dealing with, with these um with these undealt with emotional issues or, you know, any problems that you're having on that front, um, unless you actually confront them and try to change them, then then that can actually manifest as um as a number of different diseases i mean you can you can take whatever supplements you like you can you know you can be on a perfectly formulated diet but if there are still issues that are coming up um in your day-to-day life that you're not addressing then eventually that is going to manifest or there is a possibility that that will manifest as illness um mm-hmm. so i guess this this highlights the importance of, of working on all fronts you know uh, taking a, a genuine holistic approach to health and not just um, treating your body as a machine in that sense. Exactly, mm-hmm. which is the main criticism for yeah. the current system, you know. <laughs> That's it. Well, that term holistic is thrown about willy-nilly all over the place and it doesn't really have a set definition. It seems like whoever uses the word holistic gets to define what holistic means for themselves. And a lot of what yeah. I've looked at is that holistic is just, you know, eating whole foods and, you know, meditating or doing yoga. You know, it's not really about looking at the world all around you and seeing reality for what it is and getting Mm -hmm. deeper into the whys of why things happen in the world, why the world is so corrupt, why there's so much death and murder and all of that. 
I mean, I guess that doesn't really play into like their kind of new agey uh, health food kind of blog or anything. But you know, holistic <laughs> is much more than just you know going to yoga and drinking smoothies. I mean, holistic yeah. encompasses everything, everything in the world, everything in the universe, not just how you feel physically and how you look. Like, can you bench mm-hmm. press three hundred pounds or something? Like that? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's a great point. I think holistic has been misused uh, quite a bit. You know, like, well, I'm holistic within this scope of things. I'm not going to holistically look at everything, which is the definition of the word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think to some extent yeah. it's sort of like a buzzword. Mm. You know, like organic, holistic, um, raw. Natural. <laughs> yeah, raw, yeah. 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 It's 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 funny because you know this this uh, this kind of it, it, it's funny that the the whole like holistic nutrition kind of movement it's it's kind of like a thing now and there's kind of these these assumptions that that go along with that but I mean one criticism of the whole kind of yoga thing is that there's this sort of underlying narcissism that kind of goes along with it that people are uh, you know sort of it, it, it's almost this kind of holier than thou type thing that runs through it. You know, I'm able to do these yoga positions and you're not, and I drink my special smoothie with uh, 30 different superfoods in it every day. And, you know, these, you know, I'm perfecting myself, but, you know, there's still this, this lack of, of looking outside of that. It's kind of like taking on this, this movement, if you can call it that, or this, this trendy kind of um, approach to things and trying to kind of excel at that one thing. I don't know if I'm explaining myself properly here. But. It's kind of like yeah. a status symbol, you know, like I yeah. drink all these smoothies, I shop at Whole Foods, and I do this yeah. and I do that, <laughs> and I have no empathy for all the homeless people I step over on my way into Whole Foods. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. who just yeah. describes the word as the ability to see beyond the tip of your nose. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of Yoga movements is like contemplating your like your navel and that's it, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think underlying narcissism is is a is a good way of describing it. It's almost like um, you're trying to project this this image of holier than now, as you said. And uh, I think, unfortunately, I think that is what drives many people um, to actually even um, change their diet. It's not mm. actually um, to understand or you know to know the truth about what is good for the body or not. I'm not sure if many people are actually bothered about that. I think mm. a lot of the time, um, what I see a lot anyway is that people either um, they're told by the society in which we live that they're not good enough. They they mm-hmm. are either too fat or too thin, or um, they're too chubby on their hips. Or you know, I, I don't know. Whatever they, whatever's uh, spewed in magazines, you know, and the media. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that there is this this underlying sort of narcissism that that comes along with that. Um, and I think that's one of the main main reasons why these people, or why why many people, do actually. Um, you know, you've got these fad diets and things. You've got uh, you know juicing. You've got. Uh, raw veganism, you've got like the Atkins diet, you've got all these different diets and 
quite often people aren't doing it to actually be healthy. It's it's more just to look good. It's so they mm-hmm. they can look good. You know, it's because they're unhappy with their image of, of themselves. I think that's that's another uh, um, factor that plays in. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess people are entitled to their choices, even their level of narcissism and so forth. But <laughs> that are you know, we come to the moral aspect. Like it's literally like should be immoral to force a child, a very small child, to do a vegetarian diet. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too, you know, within this movement, like I work in a health food store and a number of people who I've had come into the health food store and tell me that they're enlightened. It's just kind of unbelievable. (laughs) It's kind of like that just becomes this kind of catch all phrase. You know, and it, it, there's no, there's nothing behind it. Like I can tell within five minutes, you know, a couple minutes of talking to these people that they are so far from any state of enlightenment. You know, and again, that's like kind of a, a word that that lacks a, a, a clear definition. So you know, it, maybe in their world, what they've done is has has led to some sort of enlightenment. But uh, but you know, and it's kind of the same thing I see in um, a lot of the alternative news. Um, bloggers and stuff like that, how they'll talk about they, you know, the, the, this term wake up, you know, that they're awakened and that they have to wake more people up. And, and it, it, you know, it, it's these, these ideas, it's kind of like, you know, if, if somebody's aware that the government is corrupt, suddenly they're awake. And it's like, you know, the, it, it, this term doesn't really have much of a, of a, of a definition again, but it's sort of like, you know, in, in the, the holistic uh, health food smoothie world, um, people consider themselves enlightened. In the alternative news world, they consider themselves awake. But, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't use those words to define these people at all. I mean, it's, it's kind of like they've got, maybe they've got one piece of the puzzle, but that's about it. Yeah, uh, I, I I think that, um, like what you're saying um, about how people claim to be awake, um, I think the further someone goes down the rabbit hole, so to speak, um, I think that, you you know, it's fairly overwhelming um, when someone does come across um, this brand new information, say this alternative information that completely contradicts everything they're told by a mainstream sources. Um, I know certainly in my experience anyway, um, I learned a few things, <laughs> as you said, a, a few, few few little small pieces of the puzzle. And I considered myself awake when comparing myself to the general population. But mm. then I think the more that someone learns and learns and learns, um, then the more they start, they, they begin to realize how unawake they actually are. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a process, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's nothing like learning and learning and learning as much as you can about the world and many different aspects and how it works to let you know that you're absolutely stupid and that you don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think at the same at the same time, you know, the more work someone has done on themselves, the more they, they get a kind of uh, a self knowledge and a picture yeah. of of themselves, and the more they realize how flawed they actually are and how uh, you know how how messed up they are. And you know, yeah. if you're coming from that place, the last thing you're going to do is go out there and tell somebody that you're enlightened. 
You know, yeah. it just it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> doesn't make any sense. You kind of have this view of yourself, and you kind of realize, oh my God, this you know it, it goes so deep, and there's so much work that I have to do still. Like there's all these things that that I really wish I could change about myself, and and how much work it will actually be to do that. So this idea that you can get on a pedestal and tell all the the plebes below you that you are enlightened and that they should listen to you is just ridiculous. I guess it comes back to projecting that image, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it's you know, it's like that term has become kind of a a mantle uh, that you can wear, and that it, like you said, if you are pursuing that state of mind or state of being, um, you know, I I don't know if you can ever really refer to yourself that way. Like I think that there, you know, there may be people in the world. Uh, here and there, who are enlightened, but the ones that really are, you would never say it. You would never hear no. them say that. Especially not to some Especially random not. dude in a health food store. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, this kind of segues into uh, something else uh, from our notes and our, our pre-show discussion. Uh, Elliot, if you don't mind, I was wondering if you would uh, cover a little bit of that article that you had shared with us about um, how believing lies uh, can actually hurt your brain. And I think that's Um, an interesting segue into that topic. Yes. Well, if I can just find it here. Um, It's on the forum. And... Okay. Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's not a particular article that actually deals with the um, with the topic of does lying and believing lies actually damage the brain, but there is um, there is some well there are some studies that actually show that when the brain um, when 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 you lie when you tell a lie. Um, the brain actually works a lot harder um, to, you know, to allow you to tell, to, to vocalize that lie. Um, for instance, it says uh, that there's, there's a study here in an article on um, psychology today, and it's called Truth Serum. And the re- yeah, the study goes like this: it says um, researchers gave 18 subjects a playing card then offered them money to lie to a computer about the card while undergoing an fMRI scan, so a functional magnetic magnetic resonance imaging scan. And it says, um, when subjects lied, the scans revealed increased activity in several regions of the brain, including the anterior cingulate gyrus, which is implicated which is implicated in conflict monitoring, attention, and response inhibition. So, um, the uh, a professor of psychiatry, Daniel Langelben, then went on to back, uh, went on to conclude, um, basically, that the brain's default response um, is actually to tell the truth, and it has to go, it has to um, work a lot harder to to, to tell a lie. It says no area of the brain works harder to tell the uh, to tell the truth than to lie. So um, yes, 
this is basically working from, um, it's actually a quote from uh, Andrew Lobachowski's Political Ponderology. And um, he, he speaks about something called a ponerogenic process, which is essentially stages um, in which uh, the process of ponerization takes place. Uh, what we were talking about before, how um, the values are sort of, um, switched upside down, you know, and, and, you know, a group or a society sort of takes upon these psychopathic sort of values. Anyway, and, um, yeah, Lobachowski, he goes on to say, um, the atrophy of natural critical fa faculties with respect to pathological individuals becomes an opening to their activities and at the same time a criterion for recognising the association in concern as ponerogenic. Um, yeah, so uh, there's, a, there's a thread on our, on our, on our forum and it's basically, basically speculating um, whether, whether telling lies and believing in lies, if, it, if, it, if, if, if a lie um is is harder for the brain to um if it's harder for the brain to lie than it is to tell the truth then um then it's basically speculating whether um whether it is somehow damaging to to the brain in some way um believing in lies or 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 in and of itself telling lies you know there's not really anything mm -hmm. too conclusive on it. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty major. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Doug. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say it is it is pretty interesting because the 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 research here um, it kind of looks at how and it's not just it's not just lying yourself, but also kind of accepting lies. How there is actually some wiring in the brain that, um, you know, by believing this lie, it's almost like your brain actually knows the truth and exerts this effort um, in order to change kind of the wiring of accepting a lie. It's kind of like the, um, the emotional aspect of accepting the truth is too much or there's something that wants to be avoided there so that it's easier uh, in the long run for the brain to kind of believe this lie and deal with this lie than it is to uh, kind of accept the truth and maybe um, the consequences of that truth. So it's all, almost like there's, there's this subconscious level where the brain is kind of um, keeping watch over itself mm -hmm. and um, kind of evaluates whether taking on a certain um, fact will kind of have uncomfortable emotional repercussions and then works to kind of um, avoid that. Um, like I said, there's nothing conclusive on that, but it, it's extremely interesting and it kind of, uh, you know, really opens things up when you, I, I mean, I'm sure all of us have had this kind of experience when you're telling kind of somebody this information that, that might be uncomfortable in a certain regard and the kind of mental gymnastics that people will sometimes go through in order to not accept that, um, you know, to, to, to avoid an uncomfortable truth. So it, just the mm -hmm. fact that there is actually a biological level at which this can be looked at is pretty is, is pretty fascinating. I find it interesting that you know it takes more work to lie. You know, uh, certain parts of the brain, including the anterior cingulate um, gyrus, gyrus, 
it has it gets more activated when people have to lie. The brain needs more work in that area. And other research suggests that brain damage to that specific area, you know, results in inability to detect to detect errors. Um, severe difficulty with resolving, you know, stimulus conflict. It results also in emotional instability. It results in inattention, like, you know, like ADHD, so to speak. And, uh, and in general, you know, better emotional awareness is associated with improved uh, function, you know, by these specific part of the brain. So, yeah, one wonders that... It's with so much lying, you know, that specific area of the brain gets damaged, you know, or gets yeah. off, I don't know. Yeah, or it's like, it's kind of like this rewiring happens, like it's like you're laying down a pathway, right? So it's kind of like once you've you've kind of um, accepted this lie and you've made it into kind of part of your belief system, that, that becomes like kind of a well-worn pathway and it becomes more and more difficult to actually take in objective um, facts and objective reality, and, and, and because it was, you're kind of um, predisposed to always go down this one pathway, and it's like, well, if I accept this fact, then that's going to draw, like, you bring all these other um, preconceived notions I have into question, and I can't do that, therefore I won't accept this fact either. Which highlights the importance, you know, of not being afraid of the truth, you know, seeing objective reality in your research, within you, without um and without you, you know, just because, you know, it is important, you know, for the health of your brain and for the yeah. sake of your you know, <laughs> everything of you know, where you what are your conclusions of the research, uh what you see in reality. It is important, yeah. you know. It's almost like you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, you have to kind of be able to bring into question all of your preconceived assumptions. And that's a, it's an incredibly difficult position to be in, where, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, comes, it comes into that whole thing that Dabrowski talks about with uh, positive disintegration. You know, the idea that you can uh, be willing to break down uh, all your, your preconceived notions to, uh, in order to get a better objective view. Um, and, you know, it, 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 sometimes to ask that of people is, is really asking a lot. So it, it's kind of like we, we have to have some empathy for when people just can't go there. It's kind of like, okay, they can't go there. We're, we're you know, causing them some degree of discomfort, and it's their right to be um, in this position. Um, but I think it's important for, for us as individuals who are interested in getting a view of objective reality to be prepared to be very uncomfortable. I think maybe there yeah, are some people who just physically or biologically really just can't go there. They can't tolerate discomfort of any kind. Um, also on that thread about lying and believing in lies, there was this uh, quote from the book Evil Genes from, uh, written by Barbara Oakley, and mm. they did this study where they presented these uh, subjects with you know pictures of their uh, favorite politicians, and they presented them with pictures of more neutral uh, people like Tom Hanks, and then they would uh, put a negative comment by the political party, and if that comment conflicted with their preconceived notions about their particular favorite politician, uh, areas in the brain that are um, connected to pain and punishment and negative emotions 
those things lit up. So they actually felt like, I guess, mental pain if they were yeah. uh, confronted with some kind of contradiction about their favorite politician. So maybe there are some people who really, really can't can't go there. Yeah, because it hurts. It's like, literally, <laughs> it's like they are so kind of identified with their their group, like belonging to their group, that anything that drew that into question caused them pain. And rather than question the group that they're in, they would rather, uh, you know, like I said, perform mental gymnastics to kind of work around that. Yeah, I mean, this is the type of person yeah. that would fall under the um, the authority the authoritarian follower sort of definition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's it, it, uh, a physical a physical pain and almost like perhaps there is a, a, a real like neurological um, sort of difference between the people who um, who are willing to see reality, who are willing to, you know, take in um, alternative information and sort of, um, you know, connect the dots in that way. Um, perhaps there is like a, a real sort of physical difference uh, in the brain structure. Maybe we just haven't found it yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, perhaps perhaps these, these, these types of people just are simply um, incapable of... Um, of Straying away from the sort of um, the group mindset, you know, mm-hmm. it really makes you wonder. Yeah, it is an interesting area of, of speculation. That, what it makes me think of, like with the uh, the idea of believing lies, you know, kind of hurting your brain or hurting your mental function. That uh, it's not necessarily believing lies. I mean, like that that may have some sort of external function. But you don't really know if something is a lie, you know, when you hear it. Mm. Uh, oftentimes, unless you know the truth already, unless you know the the alternate possibilities. But if you hear something that you have no frame of reference for, you don't really know if it's a lie. And so I think that the um, perhaps could be stated in a different way that that believing anything hurts your brain, because when mm. you be, you know when you believe something without looking into it and checking out the sources or mm-hmm. trying to find out the truth and simply take it at face value, um, that, you know, puts, uh, you know, it, it kind of make, it makes the connections in your mind so that now you take that on as truth, even though you haven't checked it out. And I guess just to put it in layman's terms, it, uh, it, it makes your bullshit detector dysfunctional. Yeah. That's a very good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's almost necessary to to be in a state of a willingness to question everything and not really, you know, holding a belief, like, you know, in, in the essence of that word about anything, you know, to always kind of like, it, it's kind of like you, you always go with the best information that you have, but you always have to be willing to throw that information out if new information comes along that contradicts it, that, that, that you know, passes muster as far as... Uh, um, you, you know, looking into the research and, and actually digging into it. Um, and I think, you know, you, you can see that uh, there is a real difference between somebody who's confronted with something uncomfortable um, and they just deny it 
versus, you know, myself, if I've ever been confronted with something that kind of contradicts what I previously knew, I'm suddenly motivated to really research it and really look into it and kind of see, well, is this true? Um, and it's kind of like you, you need to keep yourself in this, this mental state where it's like you're willing to throw everything away that you previously knew. And it's, it, it's, it's a difficult state to be in because it means you're not really sure of anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. It does make it kind of hard to navigate. Um, I mean, you know, of course, I, I pers- my personal idea about that is that anything that isn't hard isn't really worth it. Um, yeah. That may hurt me <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to navigate through the world with that point of view and thinking, like, you have to always be fluid, you know. And I think kind of looping back to our topic, that's what we see a lot in um, in these, you know, public writings about health and diet where somebody who writes about nutrition may ignore certain aspects of it or um, ignore other things that come to light. Um, you know, just like uh, Gabby had mentioned earlier, Ansel Keys and the whole uh, cholesterol myth and the fact that, you know, low fat was the thing to do for so long was, and now that the uh, the research has proven out uh, that a high fat, high animal fat, low carb, low sugar diet is much better overall for your body, um, a lot of people have a belief of the opposite, and mm-hmm. because they, they hold on to that, because they heard that information, um, you know, it's it's hard then to change that. I mean, I don't know if we wanted to get it into the uh, religion discussion here because that's kind of a long one, but I think it's very similar. Uh, when you mm-hmm. hold a, a worldview that's based on a, a set standard of dogma um, and you hear something that contradicts that, you are immediately um, putting up your hackles, you know, and, and trying to defend your own belief because if that's proven wrong, you have to admit that you were wrong and then change your point of view based on what you've yeah. learned, and that, that is a hard thing to do. Yeah, I think there's, there's a real, um, he- like... Uh, you know, it, it causes a lot of cognitive dissonance for somebody to admit that they were wrong. You know, that they, you know, especially when you've got somebody who's kind of built their career on one one sort of aspect and to, to actually accept information that contradicts that and be like, oh, yeah, um, all my work over the last 30 years has actually proven to be wrong. You know, it, it, there's, there's a real uh, resistance to, uh, to that idea to, to actually, you know, people try to save face. They don't want to actually kind of get before everybody and say, you know what, guys, I was wrong. Um, this this uh, this is proven to not be the correct thing. You know, there's the whole thing, you don't want to look foolish. Um, you know, you're, you're worried that people won't listen to what you have to say anymore. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of comes down to from the whole psychopathic mindset too. Like the psychopath is, is always incredibly sure of themselves. And as a result, has a lot gets a lot of clout that way, and people will actually listen to them because, like, oh wow, this guy sounds like he really knows what he's talking about. And I think that that ends up kind of trickling down into the rest of us. This idea that we have to be absolutely sure and and you know present information as being ironclad. And you don't. You, there's a real resistance to actually saying, you know what, this isn't ironclad. I don't know for sure, but this is this is the best information I have at this point. Yeah. I get one. Yeah. I can't remember which can't study remember it was. Um, one of you guys might remember it. Um, it. It basically showed that when you um, when you provide someone 
who has a very strong belief about some subject, when you present them with evidence that um, that proves that subject to be wrong, then it actually um, increases their belief. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly which one it is. Um, I think it was the study where um, uh, basically a group of researchers got together some um, political supporters and, um, I, uh, you know what, I can't remember it. I can't remember it. I think it was yeah, the one Tiff was I mean, talking about before, actually. The the one that was yeah. from the uh, mention of Evil Genes uh, book. The one with the politicians and then Tom Hanks? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, they actually hold on to their beliefs even tighter than they did before. Yeah, yeah, that that is, that is, is, yeah. I must have got mixed up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I've seen that uh, many times in my own life. I'm sure that our listeners have as well. You know, in their own experiences, where you know, like take any topic uh, for example, but one that stands out to me is uh, vaccines. Mm -hmm. You know, where you can you can show people the research that you found. Um, that shows that a lot of these vaccines are uh, toxic and extremely harmful. And not only that, but that it's not, um, you know, necessarily beneficial to have them in the first place, that the herd immunity theory has been disproven, um, all these things. You can, you can show that data uh, to people, and at the same time, they will get more and more staunch about their point of view uh, to the point where, you know, you should be thrown in jail. Uh, because you mm -hmm. don't agree with with mandatory vaccinations. Yeah. Yeah. It's, again, that whole group identification thing. Um, anybody who calls into question a group that you've aligned yourself with, you know, it, 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 it's the, the brain will work overtime to enforce the, the connections that have previously been made, even if it means completely rejecting, um, you know, pretty established facts. Um, so it's it, it, it's kind of like uh, it, it, the brain kind of has to work overtime in order to protect the lies on which it's based. There's a good like example of that. The brain knows on one level, like if if they were to come to see the truth, it's like their whole world will crumble under their feet. So at mm. all costs, even if it just makes them cling to it even tighter and seem like even more of, you know, an ignoramus than they present themselves originally. But I think that in a way, like, if you always believe that, you know, the government is out to protect you and your doctor knows best and, you know, this shot is good for me and this medicine is good for me, and you find out that that is not true and that you're actually being poisoned, you'd be better off without it in the first place and that vaccines are not responsible for all the health advancements, you know, throughout history. I mean, if you really strongly believe that, it can be like your world is falling apart if you mm -hmm. dig into it because it's such a huge topic. And I can see how people can be afraid of it, but then again, mm -hmm. we have that, you know, people can't be uncomfortable for one second. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> There's a good example about the vaccine debate and how lies get crystallized, you know, making you unable to see anything else, making you literally blind, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And the article was published this week. Um, it's called The Greatest Medical Controversy of Our Time. 
vaccines, are they safe and effective? And there are basically two scientists uh, debating about the about these uh, about the about the vaccines. You know, there is um, biochemist and Dr. Haley, which disputes the claims of vaccine inventors. spokesperson Dr. Paul Office, point by point. And I read the debate. So it's basically one guy who was pro-vaccine and who invented the whole, you know, the whole vaccine concept, and the other guy who disputes it, it point by point. And I found it interesting that the guy who is pro-vaccine, he just focuses on like three points and repeats them over and over again without, mm-hmm. you know, without giving any discussion, you know, or any or disproving anything that the other person said. The other person provides a lot of facts, gives a lot of information for discussion, and it just basically he's ignored. Basically, it's just like you know, there's really no debate or discussion going on. It's just like a, you know, two separate walls, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just like lies get crystallized in a point, and literally makes him blind just to see what the other guy's telling him you know, in front of his face. That's interesting, Gabby. Can you post that link in the forum? Actually, I, I missed that article. Yeah, I'm going to post it on the chat. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that's the article. It's the video, and the transcript. The transcript is available at globalresearch.ca. There's a link in the article for the transcript. Great. Cool. Well, I think um, we are. Uh, we're running down on our time a little bit here. So just to recap, I guess, what we've been talking about, um, you know, the idea that uh, does knowledge uh, trump diet? And I think what Doug said earlier is pretty on point, that knowledge doesn't necessarily trump um, diet, but that we can agree it's an integral um, necessary part of of living, you know, and and trying to use the word holistic in a true way here in of its own definition of, of living a a holistically well life um where you take all things into account. Um so just fixing your diet, um you know, just eating the right things or just exercising is not necessarily enough uh to bring yourself to bear with the the state of the world uh, today we need to also using our mental faculties, we need to be looking around. We need to not be um, subject to blind belief um, and, you know, looking up the sources of things that we hear uh, and then also not being afraid to, uh, you know, to stand up for uh, social issues that are important. Um, Just because, you know, we're in the field of of health and wellness doesn't mean that we can't talk about these other things. Mm -hmm. So let's... uh, Let's go to Zoya's uh, segment here. Um, we have a pet health segment for today. It's about 10 minutes. And after that, we'll come back. I've uh, got a short uh, recipe, and then we will uh, wrap it up. So here's Zoya. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I'm going to share with you several interesting animal-related news. First item has to do with swimming, particularly dogs swimming in lakes or ponds. I know that right now it may not be that relevant, but just keep in mind for summertime, and in case the Ice Age won't come before that. University of Florida scientists 
warn against letting your dog swim in warm water bodies after they found several eggs with a pathogen that can make uh, canines sick. Animals, including dogs and horses, can contract um, pyseosis from swimming spores. About uh, 10 cases of humans getting sick from the disease have also been reported in the U.S. In addition to keeping animals out of lakes, people should avoid ponds and other standing water that contains grass and aquatic vegetation, particularly in the hot months. Uh, lined ponds should be okay because the pathogen is probably soil-borne. But apparently dogs who do not swim have also gotten it, uh, possibly from eating infested grass. Dogs that drink infested water can get intestinal infections. The pathogen can also cause skin infections in people, dogs, and horses. What is also interesting is that pathogen's name is Pythium insidiosum which kind of speaks for itself. So even if it's really great to allow your pet to to have fun in the water, make sure that there is no insidious vegetation around. Second item has to do with sheep and herd behavior. Many, many animal species live in groups, uh, such as shoals of fish and herds of animals. This lifestyle offers many benefits to individuals by increasing protection against predator attacks. It can also sometimes vastly improve the efficiency of foraging for food. In these groups of animals, uh, imitation behaviors are the uh, cornerstone of many collective phenomena. However, individuals do not imitate one another constantly or at the same intensity over time, which has the effect of increasing the complexity of collective behaviors. Group behaviors are determined by importance with which each animal treats the behavior of its neighbors relative to its own motivations. Knowing how these two types of influences combine to determine the decisions of each individual within a group is crucial for understanding the complex dynamics of many collective phenomena, not only in animals but also in humans. To study these phenomena, the researchers analyzed the collective movements of flocks of a hundred merino sheep grazing under controlled conditions. They demonstrated that these movements have intermittent dynamics, slow dispersion phases alternating with phases of consolidation and very fast movement during which sheep mimic the group already in motion. The analysis of these regroupings and therefore of the mimicry phase reveals that they are similar to avalanches. Their amplitudes are random and distributed over a range of, with a very large scale. At the scale of the group, this system appears similar to what is called the critical condition. These results also offer new elements for the current debate on the issue of criticality of living systems. Being neither in too uh, much disorder nor too uh, rigidly organized, Uh, one of the signatures of critical phenomena in statistical physics. Sheep would be able to respond effectively to external disturbances, an advantage that could have been selected by evolution. This study suggests that such behavior could be vital when sheep sense the presence of a predator. It uh, It would allow the group to develop a form of collective intelligence and circulate information. So that's that about the research but it made me wonder about another phenomenon associated with sheep and considering the uh, presence of a predator. 
particularly when such studies are used to understand human group behavior as well. As many of you probably know, there is a goat that is called Judas goat. A Judas goat is a trained goat used in general animal herding. The Judas goat is trained to associate with sheep or cattle, leading them to a specific destination. In stockyards, a Judas goat will lead a sheep to slaughter while its own life is spared. Judas goats are also used to lead other animals to specific tents and onto trucks. Judas goat is able to accomplish its task due to its dominant nature via the more submissive and directionless nature of the sheep. Kind of makes you wonder, don't you think? Speaking of submissiveness, there is a research done by uh, Wei Jingen University about hierarchy in a group of dogs. The hierarchy in such a group is not based on aggression, but on submissiveness. A dog ranked lower in the hierarchy displays signals of submissive behavior toward dogs ranked higher. The idea of dominance in dogs is popular among some dog trainers in various countries. They believe that dogs, like wolves, are natural-born fighters with only one aim, to reach the top of the hierarchy. By contrast, a different school of thought among dog trainers holds that dominance is an outdated and obsolete notion which is not applicable to our domestic dogs. There has been much misunderstanding about the interpretation of this view, because until now there was a lack of substantiation by means of hard figures. The signals of submissiveness uh, from a dog meeting another member of its species can be best read from the lowering of the posture compared to the other dog. Another expression of acknowledgement of the highest status of the other individual is body tail wagging. Uh, this behavior, often seen in young dogs when greeting other dogs, involves in a tail moving in quite broad strokes, uh, often with the hind quarters, uh, the hind part of the body moving with it. Both forms of submissiveness are an expression of formal dominance because the context, aggression, greeting, play, does not matter. The findings are in line with previous results into dominance among wolf, wolves in captivity and Italian feral dogs. The study contributes to a knowledge about the ways in which dogs communicate their status toward other dogs. This is important for correctly classifying the hierarchical uh, relationship between two dogs and probably also between human and dog. This in turn uh, helps establish the correct diagnosis in the event of problem behavior and will therefore improve the welfare of dogs. But while in dogs, submissive behavior marks their placement in the hierarchy, when it comes to cats, particularly tortoise shell and calico cats, apparently they are not so shy about expressing their dominance toward the humans in overt and aggressive ways. Veterinarians at the University of California um, recently conducted research in which coat patterns of cats were studied based on a survey of over 1,200 cat owners. The online survey did not inform cat owners of the focus of the study, but did ask them questions about their cats as well as registered uh, the cat owners choose what color uh, category their cat best fits in as well as the written description of the pet. 
This limited uh, the study in some ways since the researchers did not observe the cats themselves. However, the researchers found the insights revealing. The study revealed that cats with calico on and tortoise shell coat patterns tend to challenge their human companions more often than cats with other coat patterns. Apparently, uh, calicos and tortoises are more likely to hiss, chase, bite, swat, or scratch during interactions with humans. The research team was surprised to learn that the data suggested that cats that had uh, gray and white coats and black and white coats are also more likely to behave in such a manner than cats with other coat patterns. The study also suggested that cats with solid coats were far less likely to exhibit aggressive behavior. It is believed that this is the first study to specifically look at cat behavior and how it relates to coat coloring. But veterinarians also warned from making sweeping generalizations regarding the results of this research and that the study findings should not be a deterrent from owning a calico or tortoiseshell cat. They are not suggesting that anyone avoid uh, having these cats in their homes. Most of them make lovely pets. It's just information to help you understand what you might be up against. Well, this is it for today. I uh, hope you found the information interesting. Have a nice day and goodbye. I've heard that bit about Judas goats before. I thought it was kind of interesting. They also yeah. used they used Judas goats in the uh, Galapagos Islands to, um, <clears throat> to to lead them to uh, populations of, of goats that were hiding uh, from the hunters because the um, apparently pirates had dropped off a bunch of goats. Then they were a non-native species, and then they took over the islands, and they were like pushing out the tortoises. It's this whole story. Hmm. Huh. But, um, so, let's see, today for a recipe today is, I guess, more of a suggestion than a full-on recipe. It would take me quite a while to run through all of these things, but I, I wondered if uh, if anybody had tried this before. And basically, it's uh, bacon deviled eggs. Um, mm. And I, I find it, yeah, they're great. I, I don't make them that often, but they're they're a really good snack. Um, and it's it's a fairly involved process because you you want to make aioli. You don't want to use mayonnaise uh, from the store. And so what I usually do is if I have like a dozen and a half eggs, I'll use uh, six of the egg yolks um, to make a, a big batch of aioli so that I have some left over. And we did a recipe on that in a previous show. And that, like I said, that's kind of an involved recipe. Um, so if you have that. Um, written down anywhere, then, you know, make your batch of aioli. Uh, if you don't, you can look up uh, homemade aioli uh, to find that uh, process. Um, and it, it takes some tweaking. If you've never done it before, you're going to lose a batch or two. Um, mm. And there are ways there are ways to recover that, but it's, it's, a, it's a little bit uh, intimidating at first. But so aioli is the first ingredient. And then I will uh, hard, hard boil a dozen eggs. Um, which I'm sure a lot of people have done, um, but basically um, put the eggs in the water, um, bring the water to a boil. As soon as it's boiling, take it off of the hot uh, burner and cover the pot for 12 minutes. 
Um, and you can also add a little bit of vinegar uh, to the water while they're boiling. That makes the shells a little bit softer and easier to peel off. Uh, and then you replace the hot water with cold, let them cool down for about five minutes, and then peel the eggs. So once you have all your hard-boiled eggs, then you cut them in half and scoop out the hard-boiled yolks, put those into a bowl, um, mix in the aioli to consistency. Um, you know, you want it to be kind of like a pasty consistency. And then add a, a quarter cup of freshly chopped cilantro and a quarter cup of freshly chopped parsley uh, and chop it pretty fine so that it mixes in well. And then make uh, a batch of bacon, whether it's a pound or a half pound, however much you want to do. Usually add about a, about a half pound. Once the bacon is done, chop it up really fine so you get kind of like bacon bits. And then add that with also uh, two tablespoons of the resulting bacon grease into the egg yolk mixture with the aioli. And stir that all up, get it mixed together really well. Um, and then spoon that into the, uh, the empty halves of the, the, the hard-boiled egg whites that you've cut in half. And you have uh, bacon deviled eggs. And they're, they're quite good. It's a really good kind of uh, keto snack. Um, it's high in fats uh, and uh, very satisfying. Yeah, I've, I've made something similar before. It wasn't uh, wasn't exactly that recipe, but I've incorporated like bacon bits into uh, deviled eggs before, and oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, it's very good. It's it's hard enough to eat the whole batch right away. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's our uh, that's our show for today. We'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, thank you to our chat participants. Um, and to our call-in listener, we had somebody listening on the line today, so we appreciate you listening that way. Um, and be sure to tune into the other two shows on the SOT Radio Network, The Truth Perspective, uh, tomorrow, Saturday, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and Behind the Headlines on Sunday, also at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Those are always really great shows. Um, and thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next Friday. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.